Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Friday, May 28th, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Well, we know that the uh, commemoration for the 100th, uh, the 100th commemoration of the Tulsa Race Massacre is gaining a lot more attention now. And we know a lot of uh, media talking about it and news outlets are down in Tulsa to cover it. Uh, We discussed it on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered today. I was a panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And um, Roland is broadcasting from from Tulsa. So I'm going to let you hear some of uh, the discussion that uh, took place today. And... Uh, You know, it's a deep, deep history, and there's still uh, a concerted effort to suppress a lot of this history, but also um, the city of Tulsa is not making any efforts to uh, pay reparations to the uh, survivors of the Tulsa Race Massacre, Tulsa Race Massacre, or their uh, descendants either. And this is uh, a big, this is causing a big problem as well. Um, for African-Americans in Tulsa. So we're going to talk some about that. Now, there was an article I I talked about it uh, a little bit on uh, yesterday's show. Uh, There's a piece from NBC News that deals with um, Tulsa's Greenwood uh, neighborhood, the Greenwood district uh, that contained Black Wall Street was prosperous after the 1921 massacre, then highways came, then highways came through, okay? Because as I've said before, and I've, I've talked about this a number of times, even going back to when I did uh, uh, my lecture on uh, the history of Black Wall Street, going back um, 2014, um, we rebuilt Black Wall Street after the race riot. We rebuilt Black Wall Street after the race riot. Uh, Dr. W.B. Dubois uh, visits Tulsa in uh, 1926, and he writes about this, how they rebuilt it. We rebuilt it with our own dollars. We got help from other um, African-American townships in Tulsa, because Tulsa is going to have about 50 of them. But we rebuilt it with our own dollars. But the expressways are going to come through in the 1970s and basically destroy it for good, uh, pretty much destroy it for good. Okay, so we'll we'll talk some about that history. Then uh, there was an article I did not get a chance to really get to yesterday. Uh, This deals with B.C. Franklin, B.C. Franklin. Um, I've talked about the story before of... um, uh, a law firm in Tulsa that had their law office destroyed and they set up a law office in a tent and handled cases from a tent. That was uh, attorney B.C. Franklin, who's a father of John Hope Franklin, because John Hope Franklin, the great uh, African-American historian, John Hope Franklin was from uh, Tulsa. There's a good article from FaceToFaceAfrica.com that deals with B.C. Franklin lost everything but went on to defend survivors by setting up an office in a tent. 
Okay, it was a great, great history lesson there as well. And then uh, on yesterday's show, we I talked a, briefly uh, about this article from um, NBC News. Article from NBC News from uh, 2020, uh, November 20th, 2020. This ties into the history of Tulsa in the history of Oklahoma. Um, the name of, name of this article is The Black Native American Descendants Fighting for the Right to Belong. The Black Native American Descendants Fighting for the Right to Belong. Descendants of enslaved members of the Muscogee Creek Nation have been in a decades-long fight for recognition after they were told they could no longer call themselves members. Okay. And we know that um, in Tulsa, uh, as I talked about this before, you know, Tulsa was founded by uh, Creek Indians around 1834 who get pushed off their land in, in southeastern United States. And they're going to, uh, and when they, and they got pushed off their land because of the Indian Removal Act of 1830. And when they go into um, Tulsa, they take their African slaves with them. Okay, and and because the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminoles, the Seminole Indians all owned African slaves. And then this is connected to the history of the uh, Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 and the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887 as well, which is uh, the Dawes Allotment Act was a redistribution of about 138 million acres of land. And two thirds was, and the land was supposed to go to um, African Americans and Native Americans. And two thirds of the land went to white people. So we'll talk about that uh, on today's show. Now, you can still register for the online course that I teach on Saturdays, uh, Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. This is a nine-week online course that I teach. We deal with thousands thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade uh, taking place also. Okay, so it, uh, we posted the link here. It's also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I do a visual presentation. We have a uh, PowerPoint presentation, video clips, articles, book references. Uh, we deal with ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, the Nile Valley region of Africa. We do what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place, uh, the 800-year the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans, known as the Moors, and what the Moors take into Europe, the teachings from ancient Africa. They take this into Europe. So when you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and you scroll down, you see information about the radio show. We have information about the online course here. The course has been discounted down to $60. It's regularly $130. It's on sale $60. We're about halfway through the course. We do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. All the sessions are recorded and archived. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Okay. So as soon as you register, you can watch the class we did last uh, Saturday. Our guest speaker last Saturday was archaeologist uh, Nubia Wartford, who uh, it's an archaeologist from Detroit, African-American female archaeologist. She goes to the Sudan to do uh, archaeological digs. 
And we talked about the origins of ancient Kush and the African queens of antiquity. Okay, so as soon as you uh, go to the web, uh, go to the website, uh, click right here on enroll. You can go ahead and register. As soon as you register, you can start watching uh, the class. All right, so we'll see you in class um, uh, Saturday, 12 noon uh, Eastern Standard Time. You can watch from around the world. Okay, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow the people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now we deal with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We deal with current events in history, politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You want to support the African History Network? Uh, you can do so through uh, Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show. Cash App also through PayPal. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. PayPal.me forward slash the AHN show. When you do it through Cash App, be sure to type in dollar sign the AHN show. S H O W. Type in the whole thing. It'll say Michael and it'll show my picture there. Uh, we also posted the link here. So this helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting six days a week. Uh, keep doing the research, pay some of the bills, et cetera. All right. Uh, I want to get into this information here. And then um, I'll be in um, Atlanta for the Juneteenth Festival, uh, June, uh, Friday, June 18th through Sunday, June 20th at the at Centennial Park. OK, so you'll hear more information about that. I'll be speaking at the Juneteenth Festival. Uh, I want to jump into this information here dealing with um uh, the Tulsa Race Massacre, the 100th commemoration of the Tulsa Race Massacre. You see me wearing my uh, African Liberation Day shirt. This is from 2019 here in Detroit. I wore it on Roland Martin the Filter today. And the theme um, in 2019 was uh, 400 years later, they stole, they still owe reparations, respect. And we also honored uh, the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, uh, as well in 2019. Okay. Um, I want to go to this clip here, and uh, Roland was broadcasting from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and one of the things we're going to talk about today is the fact that we rebuilt Tulsa after the race massacre, but the expressways came through, okay? And this deals with federal dollars, U.S. interstate highways, okay? Uh, let's go to this clip. Let's go to uh, clip one, Shakita. Take it uh, off. The pastor there, Vernon AME, uh, certainly glad to have him, uh, Pastor Robert Turner. Uh, I want to go to my panel right now. Uh, they've been patiently waiting. I certainly appreciate uh, them uh, patiently waiting. Mustafa Santiago Ali, uh, former senior advisor for the Environmental EPA. Glad to have uh, Mustafa uh, on uh, today's show. Uh, Michael M. Hotep uh, joins us, a host of the African History Network show. Uh, Brittany Lee Lewis, uh, she is a political analyst. Um, uh, Michael, I'll, I'll start with you. The point that 
uh, Pastor made right there that this is sacred ground. I, I look yeah. at how America uh, treats the World Trade Center ground. I look at how America responds every year to the anniversary of 9-11. I look at how America created a 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. I look at how this nation uh, still every year, this, this, this national, if you will, this national um, memorial that takes place, uh, you, you do not have the same energy. Um, when it comes to black folks, when you think about this massacre, but it's not just this massacre. Uh, you had more than 20 other cities that had massacres where black people uh, were killed, communities uh, pillaged and destroyed as a result of white supremacy and white domestic terrorism. Well, Roland, you know, first of all, brother, thanks for the work that you're doing down there on the ground in Tulsa, number one. Uh, number two, you know, Brother, what, this show right here, man, is so important because so many jewels have been dropped. So let me just try to capsulize it like this. The way that America, white America, and especially white people in Tulsa are treating this 100th commemoration of the Tulsa Race Massacre, that they suppressed the history of for years because they did not want to admit what happened. This is the way African-Americans are treated, period, in this country. For the most part, I mean, you wasn't it Donald Trump who thought he invented Juneteenth? Wasn't it Donald Trump who thought he invented Juneteenth? And we've been celebrating Juneteenth going back to you know the, the year after it happened, eighteen sixty-six. You, you have it right now. Governor Kevin Stitt, the governor of Oklahoma, he just signed a bill that bans the teaching of critical race theory in Oklahoma because they don't want to teach about systemic racism and real history in Oklahoma because you're going to let the cat out the bag, okay? When you talk about the uh, uh, the, the, the 20 uh, towns, the race riots that take place, things like this, you had 25 racial explosions in 1919 alone. It's called the Red Summer. The Red Summer is tied into 1921 Tulsa because that's right after World War I ends, and a lot of these white men came back home they could not find jobs, and African-Americans were filled a lot of those jobs that white men left behind and immigrants. So you had 25 racial explosions across this country. The racial massacre in 1921 is a continuation of that, and it was instigated by the Ku Klux Klan. Okay? So you have to understand the chronology of this history. It's a deep history in Tulsa, which also, lastly, and I'm going to shut up, but it ties into also... The Indian Removal Act of 1830, signed by President Andrew Jackson, which pushed the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, and Cherokee Seminole Indians off their land in southeastern United States. They go over a thousand miles into Oklahoma, what's known as the Trail of Tears. Oklahoma is, is U.S. territory at that time. They take their African slaves with them. Because okay. Hey, Paul, Paul, pause it right there, Shakita. We're coming up on a break. Pause it right there and just back it up about a minute. Uh, we'll continue this another side of the break. Listen to the African History Network show right here on the Antinium Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T Mobile. 
Microsoft 365 and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that will satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Are you getting ready for fall or winter? We have the solution for all seasonal clothing needs. Cometicwear.com is the go-to online source for Cometic African fashion and lifestyle products with a contemporary twist. We're committed to offering unique styles reflecting our African heritage. Cometicwear.com is inspired by Cometicscribes.com to influence our people in learning and showing pride. Please visit our website at cometicwear.com. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustler Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, 
voiceover IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Friday, May 28th, 2021, and we are live. Call in number 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a quick question or comment. So right before the break, I was sharing an excerpt of uh, Roland Martin Roland Martin Unfiltered today. I was a panelist uh, on the show. Roland was broadcasting from Tulsa, Oklahoma, dealing with the uh, commemoration, the 100th commemoration of um, Tulsa Massacre. Uh, 100 years since 1921. Uh, let's go back to the panel discussion. Let's go back to the clip of Shakita. Uh, towns, the race riots take place, things like this. You had 25 racial explosions in 1919 alone. It's called the Red Summer. The Red Summer is tied into 1921 Tulsa because that's right after World War I ends. And a lot of these white men came back home. They could not find jobs. And African-Americans were filled a lot of those jobs that white men left behind and immigrants. So you had 25 racial explosions across this country. The racial massacre in 1921 is a continuation of that. And it was instigated by the Ku Klux Klan. Okay? So you have to understand the chronology of this history. It's a deep history in Tulsa, which also lastly, and I'm going to shut up. But it ties into also the Indian Removal Act of 1830, signed by President Andrew Jackson, which pushed the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, and Cherokee Seminole Indians off their land in southeastern United States. They go over a thousand miles into Oklahoma, what's known as the Trail of Tears. Oklahoma is, is U.S. territory at that time. They take their African slaves with them because all five, what are known as the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, they all own African slaves. Tulsa, Oklahoma, was founded by Creek Indians around 1834. Tulsa comes from the Creek Indian word, Tulasi. A lot of the early landowners, black landowners in Tulsa, they got land from what's known as the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866. That's a deep history there. But we have to teach this history, and this history has to be taught in every school across the country. What you saw January 6th, that insurrection, that's a continuation of the insurrection, the, the destruction that took place in 1921. We can't let that happen again. This history has got to it. be taught. Uh, absolutely. Um, Brittany, when we think about um, what's going on here, uh, let's talk politics. Uh, Senator uh, John Langford, who was a member of the Tulsa Master's Security Commission, resigned from the commission. He felt the commission had gotten too partisan because uh, he voted along with the folks not to certify the election on January 6th. Black folks here said, you got to get the hell off this commission. Uh, this is the same state where the governor just signed a bill proclaiming a highway in this state uh, named after Donald Trump. And so even though we are here in Tulsa, even though we are here in Greenwood, even though we are here uh, talking about uh, black success, even though we are here in Greenwood, uh, talking about uh, black African-Americans uh, wanting to rebuild Wall Street, this is a deeply red state. Yeah, absolutely, Roland. Um, 
and it's so interesting. Something that really stuck out from the last interview that you had that just really didn't sit with me right is, is thinking about black folks, you know, having paid taxes and continue to pay taxes to a city that refuses us to get the full benefits of our tax dollars. And until we get those reparations, those apologies, those acknowledgments, those benches, those trees, really, really, quite frankly, amount, amount to very little. And I just hope, I pray, that the state of Oklahoma and the U.S. government do the right thing and provide reparations. I mean, you know, we've talked about, you've been talking about it, mass murder, it's arson, it's looting, it's 10,000 left homeless, you know, 40 blocks obliterated. Um there needs to be justice, and, and I do want to take a moment to just thank God for the survivors and their determination to tell the story, both then and now, um, because we know that the Tulsa Tribune refused to write anything about this massacre for more than 50 years, and the only reason why we understand the history of the massacre is because of these survivors um, that decided to talk about this and, and never forget, even as they, uh, and, and we know they faced intimidation and, and were told to remain silent, so I'm grateful with them, and I, and I just really pray that um, the government does right by us. I, I mean, I'm not holding my breath. I'm not holding my breath, but I pray that um, they, they do right by these survivors in our community. But, Mustafa, they're not going to do right until they are forced to do right. Exactly. I mean, you knew Greenwood was going to be powerful. It was founded in 1906. And then, you know, for 15 years, what happened in 1921? So how do we make sure that we hold our federal government accountable? Because we know that the state is not going to do the right thing. So President Joe Biden is going to be there. So he should also, in those remarks, be sharing about those federal resources that they are going to utilize to revitalize the Greenwood community. He has the ability to actually redirect federal funds, to make sure that housing dollars are going there, to make sure the transportation dollars are going there, to make sure that we make sure that they have the right types of health care facilities in place to make sure that they're the job program so that we are building wealth once again inside. And we can actually redirect those dollars around the state if the state doesn't want to do the right thing. But you can build accountability into that process to make sure that real restitution and reparations make it to the areas that need them the most. So if, if we want to really talk about addressing systemic racism, then we got to make sure that we are also building the wealth inside these communities so that they stay strong enough that even if they are in a state that you may label as red, that they can continue to thrive. They've already had to deal with the survival aspect. We need to move them from surviving to thriving. Okay, pause it right there, Shakita. Thanks. All right, pause it right there. Pause it right there. Thank you. All right, so that's from um, Roland Martin Unfiltered, May 28th, 2021, Friday. You can watch that at uh, on Roland's YouTube channel, Roland S. Martin on YouTube or uh, Roland Martin on Facebook. And uh, we'll post the link here on the thread of the broadcast also. All right. So there was a uh, I know uh, Sunday there's going to be the on um, the History Channel, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They're going to have a special dealing with um, uh, Tulsa the Tulsa massacre. We'll talk about it here on, on uh, we'll talk about it here uh, Monday. Um, we'll talk about it uh, on the show Monday. We'll talk about it. I want to go to this article that we talked about briefly uh, on yesterday's show. Tulsa's Greenwood neighborhood found prosperity after the 1921 massacre. 
Then the highways arrived. Then the highways arrived. The quote, the plot to take it over has happened. It just didn't happen in 1921, end quote, a researcher said of the once thriving Greenwood District. Um, I, I hear a lot of people talk about Black Wall Street in Tulsa. And they talk about the destruction and white people came in and killed us and burned down our houses and burned down our buildings. And they stopped there. They don't deal with the fact that we rebuilt Greenwood. We rebuilt Black Wall Street. And some accounts of that, it was even bigger and better than the first time. We rebuilt it with our own dollars. We got help from other African-American communities and townships in Oklahoma. We didn't get federal dollars. We didn't get city dollars. We didn't get county dollars. The insurance companies did not pay out on insurance claims on businesses that were burned or homes, things like this. If we look at this article uh, from NBC News. And also, um, I mentioned the, the lecture that I've done dealing with the history of Black Wall Street. This is at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's a two-and-a-half-hour lecture. I did this in 2014. It's a visual presentation I'm doing. I did this on the, I was in, I was speaking in Seattle. It's a bookstore in Seattle, Washington I was speaking at. Um, and I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation as well. Black Wall Street from destruction to the resurrection of economic empowerment. Black Wall Street from destruction to the resurrection of economic empowerment. Uh, we, ha we have this at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. It's on DVD and digital, do digital download. DVD is $10. Digi digital download is $8. It's right on the homepage of our website. Okay. Uh, so this article here from NBC News digs into a, a deeper history of Tulsa and Black Wall Street than what is normally told. Uh, this is from uh, May 26, 2021 by Graham Lee Brewer. And here's a picture of uh, Carlos Moreno. Carlos Moreno near Interstate 244, near Interstate 244, which cuts through the Greenwood neighborhood of Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. And, and Carlos has a, a new book coming out called The Victory of Greenwood uh, coming out next week, The Greek, the Victory of Greenwood. But it says here, uh, so Carlos uh, stood on, so he's at um, uh, over the bridge, he's at the bridge over uh, Highway 75 in Northeast Tulsa, Tulsa pointing west. Um, and he says, unless you actually Unless, unless you're actually standing here, you don't get a sense of the destruction. Unless you're actually standing here, you don't get a sense of the destruction. He's an author and graphic designer who moved to Tulsa in the late 1990s. Um, this is one of the pictures here of the destruction, the ruins after 1921. So his new book, it's called The Victory of Greenwood. 
And in this book, Carlos Marino explores how the neighborhood had a second renaissance. Now, it's more than just a neighborhood. You're dealing with 36 blocks. Okay. The Green Greenwood, uh, also called North Tulsa, is the area of Tulsa where African-Americans were segregated. That's where they lived. What separated North Tulsa from South Tulsa originally was the railroad track. And then the uh, intersection of Greenwood, Archer, and Pine began the business district, which became known as Black Wall Street. And you had 36 blocks of uh, basically African-American-owned businesses. Now, the his book explores how the Greenwood district had a second renaissance led by African-American Tulsans after the 1921 race massacre, after the 1921 race massacre, rebuilding even bigger than before. Okay, this is what his book talks about. I can't stress this enough. Now, Hannibal B. Johnson discusses this in his classic, classic book on Black Wall Street called Black Wall Street from Riot to Renaissance in Tulsa's Historic Greenwood District. He has a new book out dealing with the 100th commemoration. But this right here, I haven't read his new book, but this right here, this is probably the best book dealing with the history of Black Wall Street. No disrespect to anybody else. That Now, for a long time, this was the also one of the very few books dealing with the history, the real history of Black Wall Street. Um, this one came out in uh, 1998. This one came out in 1998. And there was at least a 50-year uh, campaign, a 50-year concerted effort to suppress this history and keep historical books from being written. Okay? Because I rem remember for a long time on Black Wall Street before this book came out, the only book that you could really get, I think, was the one from uh, Ronald Wallace or something like that, Ronald Wallace. And, and that was a book dealing with more fiction. Um, for, so for a long time, this history was suppressed. And it was a concerted effort not to let books be written, not to teach this history of, of what happened in Tulsa. So uh, let me go back to this article here. Um, so Victory of Greenwood by Carlos Marino also deals with uh, Tulsa being rebuilt as well a, a second time. It was not the bloodshed that eventually destroyed most of Greenwood. However, it was, uh, as Carlos Marino said, Pointing, pointing to the spaghetti of interchanges to the south and the expressway that stretches north, it was the expressways that come through. He says, Black Tulsa, uh, uh, now, um, Dr. W.B. Du Bois is quoted. Dr. W.B. Du Bois visited Tulsa in 1926. 1926, this is five years after the Tulsa massacre. Dr. W.B. Dubois wrote, quote, Black Tulsa is a happy city. It has new clothes. It is young and gay and strong. He wrote this in 1926 after a visit to Tulsa. Quote, five little years ago, 
fire and blood and robbery leveled it to the ground. Scars are there, but the city is impudent and noisy. It believes in itself. It believes in itself. Thank God for the grit of Black Tulsa, end quote. So this is Dr. W.B. Dubois in 1926 visiting Black Tulsa, North Tulsa, the Greenwood District, and talking about how it's thriving again because we, we rebuilt it. I understand the uh, demand for reparations for, and as I said on Roland Martin and Filter today, not just for the three living survivors, they're 100 years old, 106 and 107, not just for them, not just for their descendants, but for African-Americans there in North Tulsa, that whole community where those 36 blocks were. You had, you had the expressways coming through, destroying businesses, wiping out homes, and you had wealth that was wiped out. You had African-Americans who were killed, who had to flee their homes and businesses and never return. So you have to have the, the root concept of reparations is not a check, it's repairing the damage that was done. The root concept of reparations is repairing the damage that was done. Giving restitution to three living survivors, even though they deserve it. Giving restitution to three living survivors is not going to get it. You have to do that to the that whole community that's there right now because they're still suffering the 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 side effects of the massacre and the expressways coming through. There's the side effects of uh, family members and ancestors being killed or having to run away and never coming back. Just trying to give restitution to three living survivors, a hundred years old, a hundred and six and a hundred and seven is not going to get it. You have to do it to that whole community because the destruction, the damage was done to a whole community. The damage wasn't done to three people. The damage was done to a whole community. All right, let's continue. Uh, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a quick question or comment also. Um... Let me know if you have any callers, Shakita. All right, so by the 1950s and 1960s, Greenwood had blossomed into one of the most beautiful black neighborhoods in the country. This is after the destruction. At its height, black business owners operated 40 grocery stores and dozens of confectionaries across the mixed-use uh, 35-block community. This is a view of Greenwood Avenue in 1938. We rebuilt it. We rebuilt, I mean, you know, it's like the $6 million man. We can build them. We can build them stronger and faster and all this. That's what we did. We were the $6 million people, okay? We were the $6 million people. We rebuilt it. But many of us just want to focus on the destruction and don't focus on the process and the ingenuity and the cooperative uh, economics and us working together in other African-American townships in Oklahoma that helped us rebuild. 
we're, we're the we're the six billion dollar people. We have to have a six billion dollar mindset. I'm all for fighting for reparations, but you know, they've been trying to get HR forty passed for thirty two years. It just now passed. It just now got out of the House Judiciary Committee. It still isn't scheduled for a full vote in the in the House of Representatives. You need 218 votes to get it passed. Last I checked, you had between 173 and 190 votes. I don't think you have 218 in the House of Representatives. No Republicans are going to vote for it. Just like no Republicans voted for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. 212 Republicans, 212 traitorous Republicans voted against the George Floyd Justice and Justice and Policing Act in the U.S. House of Representatives. So what does that mean? That means if you vote against us, we're going to vote against you. If you vote against us, we, we see, we can't say we want the George Floyd Justice and the Policing Act. And then you got 212 Republicans that vote against it. Then we talk about not voting and leave their asses in office. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. You vote against us? We're going to vote against you and take you out. Not literally, figuratively, at the ballot box. You vote against us, we're going to vote against you. No Republicans in the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate voted for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, even though many of them are in their districts talking about how great the American Rescue Plan is and the money that went to restaurants and how it's jump-starting the economy. None of them voted for it. Uh, uh, President Joe Biden did a, a speech uh, did a speech today, and he talked about how Republicans are in their districts talking about how great the American Rescue Plan is, and none of them voted for it. Not in the House of Representatives or the Senate. Not one. He said, "I've got a list." He didn't want to name names. I would have named names. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I would have named names. Because they're lying. These are some of the same traitors that voted today against, or voted in the uh, 35, uh, where you had uh, most of them in the House that voted not to uh, have the uh, January 6th uh, commission, okay, uh, to, to investigate the January 6th insurrection, because they know it's going to implicate some of them. Uh, 35 Republicans voted for it in the House of Representatives. You only had six Republicans in the Senate that voted for it. This is the white nationalist party, the GOP. This is the white nationalist party. You can't vote against us, and then we leave you in office. You vote against us, we're going to vote against you. Senator Tim Scott, Black Tea Party Republican from South Carolina. Senator Tim Scott voted against the January 6th Commission. Senator Tim Scott also voted against um, Kristen Clark becoming the assistant, assistant uh, uh, becoming the um, uh head of the uh, Civil Rights Department of the Department of Justice. He voted against that sister also. You had six Republicans who voted for the uh, January 6th Commission. Six Republicans, including uh, Senator uh, Susan Collins. And Senator Susan Collins of Maine, who I'm not a fan of, but after she gets tired of being disturbed, she, some, sometimes she'll do the right thing. She, she was the only Republican who voted for Kristen Clark. We, we, we talked about this yesterday. She was the only Republican who voted for Kristen Clark. And Kristen Clark was confirmed 51 to 48. 
Susan Collins was the only Republican that voted for Kristen Clark. And Susan Collins today, along with five other Republicans, Lisa Markowski and Senator Rob Portman, uh, uh, Senator Mitt Romney, they voted for uh, the commission. Only six Republicans in the Senate voted for the January 6th commission. Read this article here. We talked about Kristen Clark yesterday. Read this article here from uh, CNN.com. Senate confirms Kristen Clark as first black woman to lead Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. The brother, Senator Tim Scott, did not vote for the sister. Imagine that. Okay, let's continue here. Um, okay, let's go back to this article. So, Greenwood was rebuilt. This is a picture here from 1938. This is Greenwood today. Looking north along Greenwood Avenue, the single block of remaining businesses in Greenwood. We had 36, 35, 36 blocks. Now we have one. So Carlos Moreno said, and now what do you see? As he stood above the expressway, he said, it's just highways. That's it. There's nothing else. You know, I, I, I know you had the song, Life is a Highway. <laughs> I want to drive it or something like that. Life is a Highway. I want to ride it. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> this doesn't work here for Greenwood. I know, I know the song. You know, I like the song. I like, you know, Life is a Highway, you know. But no, nah, this don't work here. Okay. <laughs> What remains of the neighborhood's historic prosperity is one block of black-owned businesses and the Vernon Chapel AME Church. One block. And the Vernon Chapel AME Church is a historic church because th this is where many massacre, uh, Tulsa race massacre survivors found refuge from the violence. And uh, the church is sandwiched between a minor league baseball field the church and the, and the businesses uh, sandwiches between sandwiches between the minor league baseball field and the towering concrete of Interstate 244. Paid for by federal dollars. Interstate 244. See, this comes from the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts of 1952 and 1956. that drive expressways all across the country, about 41,000 miles of interstate highways. And they go through approximately 1,600 African-American communities. Read this article from thinkprogress.org. Top infrastructure official explains how America used highways to destroy black neighborhoods. Top infrastructure official explains how America used highways to destroy black neighborhoods. And, but, but uh, you know, you, you have white people to say you just need to try harder, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. That, that's not how you did it. You had government help. This is from March 31st, 2016. Okay. Uh, so read this article here. I don't have time to get into it. We've talked about it before. Let me go back to this one here from NBC News quickly. So to the north, uh, you see vacant lots and empty buildings. 
they marked the once bustling area. The city rezoned for industrial use. Redevelopment has crept up toward Greenwood from downtown over the decades. And a recent home in the city's arts district, including upscale restaurants, posh bars, and galleries, has radically, radically uh, reshaped what was once considered West Greenwood. Um, Freeman Culver III, president and CEO of the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce, said these new developments, they're just squeezing us like a python. These new developments, they're just squeezing us like a python. Now, as the Biden administration seeks to address institutionalized racism, federal officials are talking more openly about how the U.S. government has for generations used redlining, urban renewal, and eminent domain to drastically tip the scales against people of color. See, this is now see the people, the 40% of white people who were surveyed uh April 4th, 2018, uh 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. And 40% of white people said African-Americans could be equally as successful. They just tried harder. See, this is what happens when you don't teach his, the proper history in school. This is what happens. They say stupid things like this. And then they become politicians who are ignorant of history, who write articles, who, who, who um, um, pass laws that are detrimental to African-Americans and other people as well, but especially us. This is what happens when you have people who are ignorant of history in political power. This is from Newsweek.com. We've talked about this one before. All this is connected. 40% 40 of whites think black people just need to try harder, poll finds. April 4, 2018, this is um, YouGov. This is a YouGov survey. April 4th, 2018 was the 50th, 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. King. YouGov asked a number of questions on what it called racial resentment, one of which centered on whether the respondent agreed with the statement. It's really a matter of some people not trying hard enough. They just, you just got to try harder. You have to be like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's really a matter of some people not trying hard enough. If blacks would only just try harder, they could be just as well off as whites. But you had help from the federal government for decades. I'm, I'm not even talking about 246 years of slavery. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about after that. Overall, 35% of respondents agreed, 16% strongly, 19% somewhat with the statement, 28% neither agreed nor disagreed. 40% of white respondents agreed that black people just needed to try harder to be equal. I, I find it interesting, they skip over all this history of a maldistribution of wealth pond resources into the hands of white people and how laws were used to do this and tip the scales. 
I find it interesting. They just skip over all that. All, all that trying that we did in acquiring land and building up all that. They just skip over all that. But as soon as $5 billion or $4 billion of loan forgiveness is allocated to African-Americans, African-American farmers and Latino farmers, all of a sudden now white farmers got a problem and they want to sue. But when they got $26 billion from the Trump administration in 2020, they were silent as church mouse. They weren't talking about discrimination then, and African-American farmers only got one-tenth of one percent. They weren't talking about discrimination then in 2020 under Trump. They weren't talking about try harder. They, they weren't talking about, oh, you just had to believe in yourself. And you just had to try harder and you can and you can do better. No, they got government help. We, we've talked about this. Uh, we talked about the lawsuit that white farmers have against the Biden administration because of the five billion dollars in aid going to uh, farmers of farmers of color and the four billion dollars in in loan forgiveness. And all of a sudden now white farmers got a problem. But they didn't have a problem when they got $26 billion from the Trump administration in 2020. All right, those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I M H O T E P. Keep watching. We're out of time here on 9 10 a.m. The Superstation. Uh, remember, right now is correct, wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Okay, uh, stand by. Stand by. Let me disconnect this call. Um, okay, we're going to keep going for a few more few more minutes here. All right. Who still needs to register for uh, my Saturday online course? I do Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, we'll post a link here so you can register for the class. And all the sessions are archived, so we do it live, but you can they're archived, so you can go back and watch it over and over again. You remember this article here we've talked about? I've dealt with what's going on with African-American farmers extensively. And we're, we're dealing with tying laws and policies to conditions. And politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, pond resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties that adopts an interpretation and enforcement. This is why it's so important who's in office. So the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that no Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for, $5 billion is in there uh, for aid for African-American farmers and Latino farmers and Asian-American farmers. March 25th, 2021, uh, the new Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, was interviewed. And Washington, he, he was interviewed by the Washington Post. You read this article here. Says Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack says only 0.1% of Trump administration's COVID farm relief went to black farmers. Only 0.1%. Okay. And if we look at the article, it says of those who identified their race or ethnicity, black farmers received only $20.8 million of nearly $26 billion in two rounds of payments under the coronavirus food assistance program. Almost $26 billion went to white farmers. They got 99% of it. They were silent. They weren't talking about discrimination. They weren't talking about you need to try harder. The white farmers weren't saying, oh, we need, we don't need government. We don't need funds from the government. We just need to try harder. They weren't saying that. 
Tom, uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack said, we saw 99% of the money going to white farmers and 1% going to socially disadvantaged farmers. And if you break that down to how much went to black farmers, it's 0.1%, one-tenth of 1%. He said, look at it another way. The top 10% of farmers in the country receive 60% of the value of the COVID payments and the bottom 10% receive 0.26%, 0.26%, one, about one quarter of 1%. Read the rest of this and, and uh, read the articles that we, we talked about dealing with how uh, white farmers are, are suing the government now because they're saying they're being discriminated against because they can't access the money that's set aside and the, and the aid is set aside for, for farmers of color who have suffered decades of discrimination and racism from the federal government and the U.S. Department of Agriculture. African-American farmers have lost 92% of their land over the past 100 years, 12 million acres of land, largely due to discrimination coming from the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the federal government. All right, let's, uh, we'll continue. And the uh, rest of the stuff we're going to get to Monday. It's been a long day, and I did two hours of Roland Martin Unfiltered today. And I have to teach, uh, teach the class uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, let me go back to this one here. Where is that? Okay, here we go. As the Biden administration seeks to address institutionalized racism. Federal officials are talking more openly about how the government has for generations used redlining, urban renewal, and eminent domain to drastically tip the scales against people of color. Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has acknowledged how federally funded highways have sliced through neighborhoods of color displacing uh, residents slashing the home values of those who managed to remain displacing residents and slashing the home values of those who managed to remain so when you when you talk about slashing the home values you're talking about impacting uh, our wealth and generational wealth. This is coming from the federal government. Now, in the transportation, uh, the the about a two trillion dollar transportation bill, uh, Biden came down on it one point seven trillion to uh, try to come to an agreement with Republicans, but they came back with some nonsense. There's uh, an allocation in the transportation bill to address, not 100% remedy it or 100% repair, but to address some of the harm that has happened to African-American communities because of the highway system. Now here in Greenwood, residents say they were robbed twice. In Greenwood, residents say they were robbed twice in 1921 and again 50 years later when eminent domain took their homes. 
Greenwood's current and former residents are still calling for justice, whether through equity and property ownership or the removal of the highways. Many still say, many say they still don't have a seat at the table when it comes to the fate of what was once the country's most culturally vibrant and financially successful black neighborhood. See, this is why a lot of people don't want this history to be taught. Okay, because see, now you're not just dealing with the the Tulsa massacre in white in, in 1921. Now you're also dealing with the federal government. Expressways coming through, wiping out homes, wiping out businesses. Homes being taken by eminent domain by the federal government. Now you can't just point the finger and say it was those crazy white people. In Tulsa, you're dealing with the federal government coming through, destroying North Tulsa a, a, a second time. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources. And the writing of law, of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, the adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Residents say they were robbed twice in 1921 and again 50 years later when eminent domain took their homes. Now, um, uh, Mr. Culver, uh, Freeman Culver, president and CEO of the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce, Freeman Culver III, said that in 2013, Forbes magazine called Tulsa the, the best place for young entrepreneurs. He didn't think the magazine was talking about black entrepreneurs, many of whom lack the capital and connections to compete. The same goes for the arts district, which uh, Mr. Culver and uh, others Note was developed largely through tax incentives. The, the arts district was developed largely through tax incentives and loans that mostly went to white developers. Did anybody tell the white developers to try harder and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? You don't need the government to help you stand on your own two feet. All that BS they tell us. Did anybody tell them that? Did the 40% of white people? who was surveyed April 4th, 18, uh, 2018, who said black people could be equally successful as white people, did they try harder? Did they tell these white people here to try harder? The arts district was developed largely through tax incentives and loans that mo mostly went to white developers. Freeman Culver, the third said outside of outside of the single remaining block of Greenwood businesses. There are only four black property owners in the downtown Greenwood area, downtown Tulsa. One of which is the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce. Tulsa's black residents 
have faced displacement and a loss of property and wealth that has stretched across generations. No wonder certain people don't want the truth to be told. You don't want to tell how the scale, how, how you tip the scales in your favor. You don't want to let the cat out the bag. You, the magician doesn't want to tell the audience how he does his tricks because he can't keep tricking the audience. Most African-Americans live, live outside of Greenwood and North Tulsa, while the wealthier downtown remains largely white. Sounds like gentrification to me. Half of white Tulsans own their homes compared to barely more than a third of black Tulsans. I, I, I wonder, are the white Tulsans going to go to the 100th commemoration? Are they, are, they are they learning this history to participate? I, I wonder what they say. Because, you know, when we played the clip yesterday from uh, uh, Joanne Reed's show, uh, The Readout, uh, from Thursday, uh, May 27th, and... Tiffany Cross is down on location in Tulsa. She's going to be broadcasting her show, uh, Cross Connection, on Saturday from Tulsa. She said that African-Americans are living next to the descendants of their murderers, of the, the murderers of their ancestors. She said African-Americans in Tulsa are living next to the descendants of the murderers of their ancestors. Half of white Tulsans own their homes compared to barely more than a third of African-American Tulsans who own their homes. White households have a median income $20,000 higher than the average African-American household. See, I'm, I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for white people to tell these white people, you know, I'm, I'm, when they're getting get loans for their farms and tax incentives and loans for art districts and things like this. I'm waiting on what are the white people that tell us to try harder? Why don't they tell them to try harder? And stop taking government handouts. There's a picture here of Freeman Culver III, president and CEO of the Greenwood Chamber of Commerce. Now, Sean Thomas, a doctoral candidate at Oklahoma State University's uh, geography department, said, quote, the plot to take it over has happened. It just didn't happen in 1921. The plot to take it over has happened. It just didn't happen in 1921. He said, quote, and it didn't happen via the massacre. It happened over time through just urban renewal and regular processes. And see, most of the coverage that I've seen in white controlled media, especially, most of the coverage I've seen in white controlled media has talked about the destruction in 1921. Most of that coverage did not say we rebuilt it with our own dollars and then what actually came through and killed it, which was the interstate highways and the federal government. That's left out of most of these conversations. Eminent domain and our homes being taken by eminent, eminent domain. Most of that's being let, left out of these conversations. The art district largely being uh, created by tax incentives and loans to white people and all this stuff. Most of that's being left out of that conversation. No, no wonder they don't want the history talk. Because then you're going to see, well, wait a second, hold on. Who's giving them 
these loans, who's approving this, who who's approving the tax incentives. You're going to say it's people in elected positions. You say, well, how they get elected positions? Well, they were elected. Who, who elected them? Maybe we need to organize and vote their behinds out of office because that they're not working in our interest. Oh, you mean elections have consequences? Is that, is that, is that what you came to the realization of? Elections have consequences? That's for all the too woke to vote people. Now, uh, Sean Thomas, doctoral candidate, is releasing an app this month that shows the original land plots of the massacre's victims laid out over a map of the neighborhood. He plans to turn over all of the digitized research to the Tulsa County Clerk's Office, which he hopes will add in uh, any further discussions about equity and reparations or aid, aid in any further discussions about equity and reparations. Many historians, researchers, and locals now agree that the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre was not a spontaneous event sparked by an interaction between a young African-American man who was 19 years old named Dick Rowland and a 17-year-old white girl named Sarah Page on May 30th, 1921. The mass destruction, the airplanes loaded with firebombs, the city ordinances that hampered rebuilding efforts, and that's what um, uh, B.C. Franklin, attorney B.C. Franklin sued on behalf of uh, African-Americans in Tulsa so they can have the right to rebuild without having to meet a new city ordinance that stated that new structures had to be fireproof. This was a, a tactic by the city government to keep us from rebuilding. The mass destruction, the, the airplanes loaded with firebombs, the city ordinances that hampered rebuilding efforts and the internment camps, the internment camps that African-Americans were put in and they had green identification tags over that over that winter because this is about a uh, it's, uh, it's about a thousand of them living in tents uh, over over that winter because our homes were destroyed. And the internment camps all took time to put in place. The city wanted to raise much of of what remained of Greenwood to build a train depot and move the area's residents north. But a lawsuit stopped the plan. By December 1921, more than half of the more than 1,200 homes destroyed were in some form of reconstruction or repair, according to the Red Cross. By December 1921. Okay, so this is uh, this is at the end of the year. So June first, the attack takes place. By December 1921, more than half of the more than 1,200 homes destroyed were in some form of reconstruction or repair, according to the Red Cross. And we know the Red Cross set up a makeshift 
hospital in Booker T. Washington High School to tend to uh, the wounded, to tend to the survivors. All right, read the rest of the, um, let me see, she read, let's see. Mabel Little's beauty salon was destroyed during the massacre along with her home. She left Oklahoma and forged a successful career as an, as an inspector and supervisor for Lockheed Martin in California during World War II. She then returned to Greenwood in the 1950s when Greenwood was booming because we rebuilt it. She returned to Greenwood in the 1950s when Greenwood was booming because we, we rebuilt it. She rebuilt her business and home only to have them seized and leveled around 1970 under eminent domain to build the expressway. Jennifer King said, I'm heartbroken that I did it, that I did not get the opportunity to participate in the community. Jennifer King is uh, Mabel Little's great niece, who is head of marketing for a Dallas law firm. In the 1950s, Greenwood's population was pushing 10,000. Because it was 11,000 at basically at the time. Um, the African-American population was about 11,000 at the time of the attack in 1921. Through the many, through the many auto garages, restaurants, doctor offices, and, and beauty salons like uh, Mabel Little's, African-American residents had firmly rebuilt much of the generational wealth the massacre had threatened. In the majority of the media accounts that I've seen over the past few days dealing with the Tulsa race massacre, most of them didn't talk about how we rebuilt the Greenwood District and Black Wall Street. Most of them didn't really talk about what really destroyed it. That's the U.S. interstate highways and the federal government. I wonder why that's left out of the conversation. All right, look, um, be sure to register for the online course that I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Who still needs to register for that class? As soon as you register, you can watch last week's class. All the sessions, we do the sessions live. They're all recorded. Um, Reduce the price down to sixty dollars because we're about halfway through the nine-week course. So as soon as you register, you can get caught up. I teach it Saturdays, twelve noon to two p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch from around the world. I just posted the link here. It's also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can. Um, uh, it's right on the homepage. You can also support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, check out the article from face to face Africa.com. We'll, um, we'll talk about this one. Uh, I wanted to 
talk about it today, but we're just out of time. And I already did two hours uh, on Roland Martin's show today. Uh, this deals with uh, attorney B.C. Franklin in uh, Tulsa. He's the father of uh, historian John Hope Franklin. Uh, this attorney lost everything, but went on to defend survivors by setting up office in a tent. Uh, this is from facetofaceafrica.com. Let me pull this up here. So check this out. We'll talk about this uh, next time. I, I first read about this story in Hannibal B. Johnson's book on uh, the history of Black Wall Street. Because uh, B.C. Franklin, Attorney B.C. Franklin's law office was uh, destroyed and he set up, here's a picture of him, he set up his law office in a tent. You see, you see him here with the law books and uh, uh, Attorney B.C. Franklin on the right set up his law office in a tent after the Tulsa riot. Uh, but the article, let's see, Black Attorney uh, Buck Colbert Franklin, that's what the BC stands for, Buck Colbert Franklin, was among those who survived the Tulsa race massacre, and though he lost everything after uh, the riots, he went on to help other victims who had suffered losses while successfully challenging discriminatory ordinances that were aimed at stopping Greenwood residents from rebuilding after the massacre. Okay. And uh, he's the father of uh, historian John Hope Franklin. So read this article here. We'll talk about it um, probably Monday. Tulsa massacre. This attorney lost everything, but went on to defend survivors by setting up office in a tent. This is from May 21st, 2021 by Mildred Europa Taylor for FaceToFaceAfrica.com. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct for wrong behavior. Uh, it's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Are you getting ready for fall or winter? We have the solution for all seasonal clothing needs. Cometicwear.com is the go-to online source for Cometic African fashion and lifestyle products with a contemporary twist. committed to offering unique styles reflecting our African heritage.
ComedicWear.com is inspired by ComedicScribes.com to influence our people in learning and showing pride. Please visit our website at ComedicWear.com. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustle Her Hemp leaves no stone unturned. Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, Take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson. President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215 879-6701. We all know the cannabis industry is headed toward an uprise in the past decade. What happens when there is a brand that brings this uprise in a blow? The cannabis industry welcomes her uprise. Hustle her hemp. Delivering excellence with pride is her watchword, and how you choose to embrace it makes it a priority. From cultivating rich cannabis into exquisite and tastefully finished CBD products to delivery, Hustler Hemp leaves no stone unturned. 
Hustle Her Hemp's mission is to empower women of color by building business and creating legacies, uniting beauty, health, and business. We are a pure definition of how we want the CBD industry to become in the future. While we are redefining innovation, we bring the same energy to improving the quality of life. Hustle Her Hemp is the new Uprise. For 25 years, the Black History 101 Mobile Museum has carried on the rich legacy of the Black Museum movement in America by showcasing original artifacts of the Black experience at colleges, universities, K-12 schools, corporations, libraries, conferences, and cultural events, making it the most traversed Black History Mobile exhibit in American history. Dr. Khalid El Hakim is the founder of the Black History 101 Mobile Museum, and he is a highly sought after public speaker on topics of black history, social studies, education, museum studies, hip hop and race relations. Dr. Khalid was named among the change makers for NBC Universal's Erase the Hate campaign and listed as one of the 100 men of distinction for black enterprise. He recently founded the Michigan Hip Hop Archive on the campus of Western Michigan University. The Black History 101 Mobile Museum is currently scheduling in-person and virtual exhibits nationwide. For more information, please contact Dr. Khalid Al-Hakim directly at 313-645-4197, 313-645-4197, or visit their website at blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. That's blackhistorymobilemuseum.com. You can also email him at bhistory101 at yahoo.com, bhistory101 at yahoo.com. With blackbusinesstea.com, the messages are clear and meaningful. Keep your business in the black and out of the red. Mind your black business. Know your numbers and plan strategically. Black business boss, lead your industry. Support black business. Encourage, patronize, and uplift one another. BlackBusinessTea.com currently has products sold in Detroit, Atlanta, Chicago, and Los Angeles with proceeds returned to the black community. They have a wide selection of hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, hats, sweatshirts that support black owned businesses. Visit the website blackbusinesstea.com. That's blackbusinesstee.com. Digital Dandelion's technical solutions works with businesses like yours to create an operations manual for your business which is something many businesses don't have. According to AARP, more than 30% of small business owners are over 50 years old. Many business owners want to retire by selling their businesses or by passing their businesses on to their children. However, according to Forbes Investment Advisors, many retiring owners attempts to sell their businesses for retirement fail cannot sell your business without a business manual. Your children also cannot inherit your business because there is no way to run it. Your business does not have to die when you leave. Their business Bible products will give you the tools you need for a thriving business that can make you money even after you retire. 
Are you looking at increasing your business's annual revenue? Digital Dandelions can help you make at least $100,000 in annual revenue and expand your business. Speak with them today about solidifying your business. Visit DigitalDandelions.com today and get a free 30-minute consultation.